0: By
1: visiting This is Tim Russ, Lieutenant Commander Tuvok on Star Trek Voyager, and you're listening to Trek FM. Open your mind to the past. Oh, this may mean something.
2: It's a primitive culture. I'm just trying to
1: blend in. Some people think the future means the end of history. Well... We haven't run out of history quite yet.
0: Hello and welcome to Primitive Culture, a Trekker podcast all about our history, our culture and how Star Trek relates to it. I'm Duncan Barrett and joining me is the very important, significant, critical to our operations, <laughs> Clara Cook. How are you, Clara?
2: I'm I'm good Duncan thank you. I'm, I'm I'm hoping to survive to the end of this podcast. Yeah, me too. That's why
0: it's it's absolutely essential that this podcast just could not happen without us. So uh, we're we're not in any way dispensable or disposable. Uh you know, if, if one of us goes then then that's it listeners. So um Hopefully, uh, we'll make it through to the end of the recording anyway. (laughs) The topic, listeners, that we're talking about today, as you might have deduced from that, is redshirts. We're we're looking at the the kind of trope of the redshirt within Star Trek. We're actually, oddly, not going to talk that much about actual redshirts, I'd say, insofar as we're not really going to be looking at the original series and the redshirted characters who died various horrific deaths in that series. If you are interested in that topic, um, there was a great episode of Standard Orbit a couple of months ago where they looked uh, sort of episode by episode at all the red shirts who, who met their horrific and grisly ends. <laughs> but we're sort of taking it for granted for this episode, for the purposes of this episode, that we sort of understand that certainly after the original series went off the air, possibly before that, I don't even know when people started noticing this kind of trope, but that for the, for the rest of the history of Star Trek, there's been a kind of awareness that there is this thing that we call the redshirt trope, that there are certain people who seem to be destined to meet uh, a rather sudden and abrupt end, and that this is something that we can kind of talk about and examine. And and indeed something that Star Trek has uh talked about and examined and kind of deconstructed itself. So we're really going to be looking at um not so much the original series but the later series and how they kind of engage with that trope. And we're also going to be talking a little bit about a novel called Red Shirts, which is a novel by John Scalzi, which sort of takes the kind of cultural idea of the red shirt and really flips it on its head in a way. Clara, do you want to give our listeners a little bit of an idea about what that novel's all about?
2: Yeah, so it's uh, it's a novel that starts out with a um, the main character is, um boarding a starship. And it's, it is a lot like Star Trek. So there is, a, uh, there is a Federation, although it's not called the Federation. Everything is exactly like you would find in a Star Trek universe, but it's all named differently. And the main character is called Dahl, and he uh, has a backstory, which is what um, it spent quite a lot of time in the beginning of the novel explaining his backstory to the point where I was like, why do we need so much backstory? But now I rea- <laughs> I, know I realize why. Uh, and and th- he makes some friends the, 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 as he boards the ship. And there are actually new crew members to this ship, which is called the Intrepid. As you well know, the Intrepid is obviously a ship in Star Trek that meets a grisly end. So that is that, I think that must have been some sort of little in-joke there. And they start to notice that people, more and more people are dying on away missions, and that the percentage of people dying on away missions on the Intrepid is higher than any other ship in the fleet. And they, and, and, just that the superiors are going on these ridiculous away missions that are incredibly dangerous, that don't really seem to have much of a purpose. And that the, every time the superiors come by, the sort of science, uh, science labs, everybody hides in a cupboard. People go off for a coffee break. They're, you know, they, there's this sort of yeti like character who's hiding in the bowels of the ship to try and avoid being spotted by any of the bridge crew. There's this idea that if you actually ever get summoned to the bridge and you end up on the bridge, that you're probably going to die sometime in the future. <laughs> and they start to realize that there's a pattern, basically, which is that the there seems to be a narrative, and the narrative seems to sort of take a strange turn every once in a while. Uh, there seems to be some ridiculous away mission, and they're called on it. They'll, they'll be on it for some strange reason, and then they'll end up dying, basically, in actually quite horrible ways. Like a lot of the deaths are quite gruesome in the book.
0: Including death by alien badgers—that's uh, yeah. <laughs> one of the more interesting <laughs> yeah. ones that comes up—and an exploding head. Yeah, they're quite—they're quite kind of gruesome. I mean, it, it's definitely. It's sort of original series at its campiest Star Trek. I think that it's kind yeah, of, it's parody, of yeah, it's a parody. And what they discover, basically, in the end, these characters. So we're, we're sort of following essentially the red shirt characters. We're following the kind of low level, like the ensigns on the ship. Um, is is they realise that there is this kind of narrative going on. They realise that events are controlled by something kind of outside of their understanding of the universe and causality and so on. And um, what this one character, Jenkins, discovers is that the, the closest analogue to the experiences that they're going through on a daily basis are old episodes of Star Trek which he manages to dig out and he actually shows them look, this is what happens in Star Trek, you know they go to a different planet, they, they beam down the captain, the senior bridge crew all beam down into danger but nothing bad ever happens to any of them uh, apart from that, there's one character called Kerensky who I think is meant to be Chekhov, <laughs> a bit of a Chekhov uh, who yeah. gets beaten up or he gets injured but he's always basically okay but then always one or two of the uh junior characters ends up dying and they realize basically that the only logical interpretation of what's happening is that they're in a tv show or at least that they're not in a tv show but that they're the way the book presents it is that their reality is sort of impinged on by the narrative of the tv show and so they have these moments where kind of characters go from being just behaving like themselves in real life as sort of autonomous beings to sort of acting in a kind of heroic, dramatic TV show fashion. And towards the end of the book, they end up coming into the real world, into our world, and they discover that they are in this TV show. It's actually not Star Trek. It's a kind of crappy knockoff of star trek that's uh, been running in the present day but very much kind of following that sort of formula uh, and so then the rest of the novel is about whether they can sort of escape their fated deaths as these kind of minor characters and uh, and realize that um you know they can have their own autonomy and their own real lives but it's, it's quite an interesting novel i mean it's 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 a funny it's a comic novel it's it's Quite enjoyable, it's, it's a good sort of romp. But it also raises a lot of interesting questions about the way that those kind of redshirt characters are used in Star Trek, and, you know, and elsewhere in fiction uh, and drama of various kinds. What function their deaths serve? Because there's a big question in the novel about, you, you know, some of them say at various points, you know, we don't mind dying, but we want our deaths to mean something. And it feels like these deaths are trivial. They're kind of abrupt, they're out of the blue, they're, they're kind of pointless, And basically, they're just a cheap way of sort of raising the stakes in a scene of demonstrating that the enemy or whatever is dangerous and might kill people, but the deaths themselves don't really achieve anything. And it's kind of interesting when we think about the way that Star Trek engages with these questions, because it made me think very much of the character of Tasha Yar, because Tasha Yar is a character who we see, well, we, we don't see it the second time, but we assume that we see her die twice. We see her die this kind of pointless red shirt death first in Skin of Evil, and then we see her in Yesterday's Enterprise go and get the kind of heroic death that's going to mean something. And there's you know, there's a scene in the novel Red Shirts where one of the characters basically says the same thing, you know, I don't mind dying, but I want it to. I want to die saving someone else's life, or I want to die saving the crew, I want something... Uh, meaningful to happen as a result of it. I want it to be a kind of heroic sacrifice. I don't just want to be a kind of, yeah, okay, this week this guy had to die, and next week it'll be her, and then it'll be the guy over there, and so on. And every week they're, they're killing people off at this kind of, in this rather callous, kind of meaningless way. So the novel sort of deconstructs the idea of the red shirt very much by forcing you to sympathise with the people in that situation, and actually see the kind of horror of it existentially from their point of view when they become aware of it. And there are lots, there's there's quite a funny scene where they're all talking about the kind of ramifications of this. And one of them says, you know, yeah, if we were all stoned and and, uh, just talking about this in theory, this would be quite interesting and entertaining. But, you know, we're all going to die imminently. And this this is really pretty grim and awful. So it's interesting in that it sort of makes you, I suppose, on one level, what it does is it makes you take those people seriously, and it makes you take their lives seriously in a way that I suppose Star Trek doesn't initially certainly in the original series i don't think there's all that much there's drama around the death of each red shirt but there's not all that much pathos there's there's maybe a bit of guilt for the captain but then it becomes all about the captain's emotions and it becomes all about you know the red shirt dies so the captain can feel guilty or feel they've made a, an error or something but i suppose what that novel does and what also some of these later episodes of star trek start to do is really dig a little bit deeper into the idea that these are you know, in the in the story of Star Trek, there are these ships, you know, yes, there's like seven or eight people on the bridge who we get to see every week. But actually, everyone working on that ship has a life, has a story, has a kind of experience of the world and the universe that is kind of valuable in its own way. And that actually, we can almost enhance the kind of overall bigger picture by, by looking at that. And the obvious example is Lower Decks, the Next Generation episode, which You know, aside from being a fantastic piece of drama, a brilliant, you know, sort of one line pitch, essentially, like, let's find out what, you know, who all these random people are, basically who the extras are, you know, bring the extras to the front of the front stage, in a sense, and and give them proper storylines. But it's also very much a kind of deconstruction of the trope of the red shirt, because, you know, the idea of the red shirt is the person who they they have no real backstory. They have no we don't really know anything about them. And and they just turn up and they die suddenly. And, you know, they're going to die from the moment you meet them. Obviously, in Lower Decks, you know, we get to know them quite well. It feels like we get to know them and therefore that they're safe because there's this sort of sense that once you are familiar with a character, once they're kind of part of the story, once they're part of the narrative, as Scalzi would call it, they're they're almost protected by the narrative in a sense, unless they're going to die really heroically or whatever. Uh, And then, of course, what happens at the end of that episode, spoilers, if you haven't seen Lower Decks, turn off your uh, (laughs) MP3 device and go and watch it now. You know, Ensign Sito dies off screen very suddenly, very brutally, you, you know, we don't even really know that much about it. And it's a real shock. It's a real kind of gut punch because we've got to know her. We sort of feel like by that point she should be protected from this kind of red shirt curse or whatever it is. Obviously, she's a, you, you know, mustard shirt or whatever. Could be next <laughs> mustard shirt. Uh, but, <laughs> but, um, but she doesn't. She's as disposable as the rest of them and she meets her fate. And then, you know, we have Captain Picard making this announcement fraught with you know the weight and emotion of it all and yet and suddenly for once it kind of means something to us because we know this was someone who had a life who had dreams for the future who had a career ahead of her all of that sort of thing so that's why I sort of think that lower depths episode is such a an interesting take on the red shirt trope because it really deconstructs it and also sort of humanizes it at the same time.
2: Yeah. She does have quite a meaningful death as well, though, I think like her death does mean something like she's trying to, but she doesn't achieve anything. It, failed. it fails. It fails. It's a failure. It fails, yeah. You know. I guess it's maybe the intention of what she's trying to do that mm. is actually honorable. Mm. And also her death has an impact on her friends. And yeah. so that's quite important. I feel like the, the red shirt trope has changed over the years and, mm. Um, I think in the original series, it was very much, uh, you know, to, to illustrate immediate peril, mm. you know. So you want s- they wanted to show how dangerous the situation was for Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, but they don't want to kill off Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, so they're going to kill off the red shirt. Yeah, uh, It was also, I think, to sort of, yeah, I mean, mainly, I suppose, to illustrate peril. But then after that, the red shirt trope sort of changed into becoming... The death of a red shirt has um, some sort of impact on a main character or sheds mm-hmm. light on a main character's personality or main character's storyline. And then after that, I thought that the red shirt trope kind of became even more convoluted thing in the sense that, which actually is actually illustrated in the book by Scalzi, which is that you have these sort of, they're like more developed red shirts. Mm-hmm. They're like, background characters but background characters that featured have extras Features extras yeah. yeah so the actual whole episode will be about their death mm-hmm. so you're going to get to know them in the episode a little bit like Cito you're going to get to know them you're going to get to care about them but ultimately the episode's going to end in their death you're not going to see them beyond one episode mm-hmm. so they're like developed red shirts if you see what I'm saying and I think that and then you get the situation which you get Voyager with Kerry Joe Kerry mm. Joe Kerry, I think? Joe Joe Kerry yeah Who's like a really developed red shirt because he's seen in several episodes mm. and you actually have like background information about his family and then he dies.
0: Yeah.
2: And I was kind of, ho- I was kind of upset by his death actually. I found that quite difficult like because. Because he isn't he right before like sort of like in scenes before that talking to Tom Paris about becoming a father and the sort of
0: probably yeah bond, and he's, uh, and he's bonding making his model ship it's, and you know yeah it's, it's probably just the fact that he's been around for so long I think that he's he's really kind of part of the furniture you yeah know, and he's, then he's kind of a familiar character but he's not
2: important enough a main no. character to keep alive that's the point I yeah. suppose
0: but it is an interesting yeah it's an interesting decision in that episode that. He, again, you know, like Tasha in Skin of Evil, he gets the red shirt death, not the kind of traditional heroic, you know, if they, if they were going to kill off one of the main cast, they would, or even one of the kind of sort of larger recurring characters, they would kill them off in a more dramatic way. And, and maybe Skin of Evil really is the, is the first episode in Star Trek history where the red shirt trope is kind of sort of almost analysed in a sense, because that is a very strange episode in a way in that you want to get rid of one of your main cast members you want to kill them off and you know this is something that happens elsewhere in star trek obviously where characters you know die tragically and, and that's the last we see of them but the way that it's done it's very much schematically it's 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 a sort of perfect red shirt moment you know the crew the away team beams down uh there isn't any other security personnel tasha's the only security personnel there and literally 10 minutes into the episode she's dead Mm. And it's it's the fact that they do it right at the beginning. If it, if it led up to it, if it led all the way through, then it would feel more like it was sort of her story. And it's it just to illustrate about, danger. It's just like, yeah. exactly. And it's so random. It's so unexpected. Every time you watch it, I think, that episode, you, you know, it comes as a bit of a shock how quickly it is. You know, literally within the first 10 minutes, Tasha's dead. And then the episode continues without her. And everyone, you know, yes, there's sort of a, an awareness about her death. And in the final kind of five minutes of the episode, we get that funeral scene where she's almost sort of... Um, I was going to say redeemed, she's, she's almost sort of re-characterised mm-hmm. as a main character who gets to have a story and gets to sort of give a speech and do the kind of whole farewell thing. But, you know, for the majority of the episode, she's just, Tasha's dead. Yeah, that's awful. Right, move on. We've got to focus on this. We've got to focus on that. It's about, you know, everyone has to get on with their job and kind of almost dip, not let that determine the whole course of the episode somehow they've got to deal with the problem at hand
2: see I would argue that Tasha's death is very similar to Kolba's and Judzia's so one of the things that I think I didn't like about Kolba's death or Judzia's is that they aren't red shirts they're characters Mm. they're main characters Um, and they have a huge established well not Culber as much but Judzia has you know massive amounts of screen time Mm. storylines surrounding her you know like whole relationships with everybody else and Colba has a fair amount of background information, you mm-hmm. know, and, and and dialogue and everything. But they're killed in a very red shirt way. Very so, yeah. Silent. So, it's, yeah. is the death a red shirt death? So, there's two different things. It's like the death is a red shirt death, but the characters aren't red shirts. Mm. Or the red shirts are red shirts, characters, but their deaths aren't red shirt deaths. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, well, I think it can It's come, like you can mix the two. Kind it can of. go either
0: way. And I mean, the other episode that I think is worth thinking about in terms of Deep Space Nine mm-hmm. is the ship, where you've got a character who is very much a red shirt, uh, Yeah, yeah. But again, he's and he's shot quite early on, but he takes most almost the entire he has a episode good, he has to a die. But developed so death, yeah. so he's he's developed to the extent that we know he has a relationship with O'Brien, and we have seen him in a few other episodes. I think he's kind yeah. of popped up in sort of in the background. You know, I had a line or two, or whatever. So we so they've sort of seeded that. But then also it's the fact that the whole episode sort of comes to be about his death, and his death sort of frames the whole episode somehow. And the fact that he doesn't just like Tasha sort of keel over and die instantly, he kind of is you know, clinging on to life throughout up until, you know, almost the end of the episode. And then even after he dies, you know, we have that, first of all, we have Sisko kind of struggling to deal with the loss of, I think there are five of them who've been killed. That's the weird thing. He's like the featured red shirt. I was talking about the featured extra. There's four other red shirts who've died and, and no one really knows anything about them. or cares. No one cares. But, <laughs> but he sort of stands in for them. Uh, but then, and then at the end, you've got that nice scene with O'Brien and Worf kind of um, sitting by his, you know, like I was going to say by his grave, by his coffin, basically. And sort of, again, giving him that kind of respect and that kind of significance and sort of meaning that typically a red shirt is denied. But you're right, with Jadzia, what you get is a very shocking sudden death, not in the course of her duty, not doing something heroic. I mean, when I say about it being random, I suppose the, the, you know, the, the ultimate of the other kind of death would be Spock. You know, when Spock dies in the Wrath of Khan, it's heroic, it's brave, it's meaningful. It's going to change the course of the entire story. He saves, he saves the entire ship. He saves all of his crew. His death is absolutely worth something. Whereas, you know, the typical red shirt death, it's just, it's, it's meaningless. And I suppose that's the thing that's kind of very upsetting about Jadzia's death is that uh, she's just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And even de Cut, I think, says later on, doesn't he, you know, oh, it was, he makes some kind of remark about it, that, mm. you, you know, it was kind of unfortunate he had to kill her. She just happened to be there. But at the same time, I think the way that episode is structured, there is at least an arc to it insofar as there's this she's, something about she does whether... Some she just has some last words, doesn't she? She, she? Yeah, first of all, she gets yeah. the last words off, so she gets to seemingly die, but then speak a few lines to say oh, goodbye. She struggles on... Yeah. So she gets that, which is a bit like Tasha gets her kind of beyond the grave, last words. Yeah. But she also gets the kind of sense of a, a shape to the death because... There's this whole thing about, you know, can she and Wolf have a, have a baby or not? Yeah. Um, and she's getting to the point where, you know, she's willing to kind of uh, pray to the prophets and kind of engage with the kind of spiritual um, side of things, which she's always been extremely resistant to up to that point in the series. She's always said, you know, they're aliens, they're not prophets, you know, it's all a load of rubbish. Uh, but because she wants to have that um, baby, she's willing to kind of go and put herself in that situation and there's the kind of tragedy of it that they get the message from Bashir that they that they are able to have a baby and then she goes and dies so yes she dies in a kind of red shirty way but at the same time it's in the context of a storyline which makes that tragic rather than yeah it's more more tragic than random it's more tragic because not only is it tragic that she's a main character but it's also that they built it up it's at the moment of greatest kind of happiness almost that suddenly it's all taken away at the last minute so you know yes they're going to have this family they're going to have, you know, they're going to be together and have children and everything and then suddenly she's taken away so it kind of you know rips that away from them but so I think there, there's definitely an element of in these kind of later Star Trek episodes of being able to sort of vary the kind of terms of the of what it means to be a redshirt or what it means to die like a redshirt but I think you're right definitely Joe Carey is an example of, of a, a recurring character who dies like a redshirt and it is a shock And they do talk about it in the episode. I mean, you know, Chakotay and Jane might have a little sort of moment about Mm -hmm. talking about him and so on, but definitely it it registers as a shock. And I suppose there's kind of a question of, you know, you said that these characters in the original series, they're there to die to kind of up the stakes or to kind of emphasise the peril. There's also a question of, of, do they die just to affect one of our main characters. Do you know what I mean? Are they just there to kind of, um, so that their death can sort of traumatise someone else? And another episode that is quite interesting in this respect is the Enterprise episode, uh, The Forgotten, which is all about Trip having to write this letter for uh, one of his kind of junior crewmen who's died, again, quite randomly in, a, in a, an engagement. And she was very young and it was sort of unexpected and so on. And it's quite an interesting episode because he, it, on the one hand, it's sort of... Um, Putting the focus on the red shirt, on the tragedy of the red shirt's death. You know, we even get to meet her because she comes to him in a sort of dream or a vision or whatever. uh, And and so we sort of get to humanise her a bit. She's not just one of those however many people who were killed in that action. But at the same time, there's this weird uh, sense that for Trip, what he realises is the reason he's kind of blocked writing this letter is that he can't stop thinking about his sister. And so she's kind of come to stand in for the sister that he's lost in the Zindi attack. And he almost can't differentiate her. So on the one hand, the episode humanises the red shirt. On the other hand, it does it only to sort of say that she's really just a surrogate for someone else who's died. So she's, she almost doesn't really matter who she really was. And even at the very end of the episode, when he does finally manage to write that letter, he, he's still holding a picture of his sister while he's doing it. So there's this kind of weird idea that that red shirt's death is meaningful only insofar as it relates to Trip. And I guess it ties into this idea of you know, a criticism that a lot of people have with a lot of kind of genre, um, you know, TV or, or, or other kind of media is this idea of fridging, the idea that you kill a character in order to, uh, for the impact it has on someone else. And typically you kill a female character for the impact it has on her partner, who will then go on a kind of, you know, revenge-filled spree and, and write injustices and so on because his dear wife or girlfriend has been killed. And, it, and it's obviously something that... Um, yeah, I think a lot of people had an anxiety about when you, you talked about the death of Culber being very sudden that there was kind of, was there a sort of element of that you know, was it all about affecting Stamets and kind of the impact on him and almost sort of disregarding the fact that Culber was a character that people had grown to like although, in his own right. Although we don't have much
2: of a idea of the reaction that it's had on Stamets, we see like one yeah. scene where he appears to be slightly upset, I mean I don't think they've really explored that they could explore that more.
0: Definitely they could yeah. I
2: also feel like the whole thing with Trip being able to understand the death of a female crew member because his sister died it's a little bit like when you hear um men sometimes normally on the internet say you know like oh i i believe in women's rights because um i had a mother and i have a sister and <laughs> yeah. it's it's like yeah. you know you're it's p- never i had
0: a mother it's always because i've got a daughter well, i've That's got a daughter yeah like, oh, i've got a daughter so now i care about
2: women yeah. yeah and it's like well you should care about women because they're human beings mm. like you're a human being I think it's, it's that idea that you've got to have experience of something in order to empathize
0: mm.
2: with, with it. I mean, and that's ridiculous. I mean, you know, we can not have, like, I don't have children, but I fully support, you know, shared parental leave because mm-hmm. I understand it's important for everybody. Uh, so, you know, I mean, you can not be, um, a person of color, but you can understand that racism can, you know, really affect people's lives i mean mm. i think that it, yeah it, it sort of cheapens the death of the of, of the red shirt and it sort of cheapens his condolence letter to her mm. parents or her family i also feel that it's also really <clears throat> obvious to me the entire time that he's suffering from the death of his sister and the idea i guess they just must not have really been in touch with their emotions or in touch with like the idea of like mental health and ptsd mm. back in star trek Enterprise, I say back. It's in the, it's in the future. You know, I mean, a massive Mm. attack like that on earth and losing a family member, I would, I just thought they'd be more emotionally intelligent, but that's just me. I think that there's no counselor on board. There's there's no counselor. You're right. And, um, Phlox isn't the best counselor, perhaps. I actually think that the the deaths of the red shirts and discovery are actually more upsetting. And I Mm -hmm. think they have more meaning to them. I think, I think, I mean, they are quite, they can be quite random. There's that crew member that dies while Burnham is in the in the brig mm. right at the beginning of discovery and that but was that's upsetting we thought
0: he was going to be a regular didn't we and he was all the publicity and everything you know he was at the convention he was in all the pictures and everything and that was very much like we obviously there was a suspicion that Michelle Yeoh was not going to be around like for every episode and that therefore it was quite likely she was going to die in the premiere but he was absolutely someone that we thought was going to be part of the crew. And then suddenly he's dead. But that was quite effective in a way because it did sort of subvert your expectations. It was a genuine shock.
2: Yeah, and also it's upsetting because he's disorientated and mm-hmm. frightened right before he dies. And same with Michelle Yeoh's character. Same with um, uh, Captain Georgiou. I mean, she dies in a horrible way. Yeah. You know, and uh, and I guess... I guess this whole researching for this whole podcast made me think about death in Star Trek generally. And mm. I, I, there is something to be said for this heroic death, you know, this meaningful death that you give a character where they have the last, they have their last words, they get to say goodbye to their loved ones, they've saved the ship or the station or whatever they've done. Mm. But actually, death in real life doesn't always work that way. death is, is, It's actually quite hard to have a good death. In fact, a lot of people don't die good deaths. And so perhaps maybe, in a way, one of the reasons why Red Shirts is such a trope and why perhaps maybe it upsets people, but also disturbs people, people recognise it, is because people want meaningful deaths from characters and television shows to sort of reassure them that death isn't such a frightening thing and they, they themselves are not going to have terrible deaths. And I think... In examples of modern television that we have now, like, you know, I mean, when we were talking about this podcast before doing it, you mentioned stuff like The Walking Dead, Mm. Game of Thrones, and there's some pretty meaningless deaths in Mm. Game of Thrones, some pretty awful meaningless deaths of innocent people in Game of Thrones. And The Walking Dead, I mean, the deaths are just barbaric, aren't they? Mm. So... Whereas it, you compare that with something like Lord of the Rings, where everyone gets a very long speech before they die. You think about Boromir's death, you yeah. know, he has this like long thing and, and, um, there's a tune that's tragic, but,
0: but it's heroic. It's,
2: it's heroic. Yeah. It's an epic. Yeah. yeah. And I think we want a meaningful death. And so I think that's why the redshirt trope kind of upsets us. And I think that Voyager tried to address that issue of um, meaningless redshirt deaths with having, In Ashes to Ashes, an actual red shirt coming back to life Mm. and confronting the captain for sending her on a mission, which she doesn't even say to Janeway. What's her name? Lindsay Ballard. Lindsay Ballard. And she actually says to Janeway, doesn't she, like, why didn't you send one Mm. of someone else? And she mentions, like, Tuvok or or Balana And i like, why didn't you send them? Is it because you're close to them mm. is it because you care about them and Jamie doesn't really actually answer her Jamie says something like you know well' I'm I'm, you know I can understand why you might be angry with me or something but she doesn't really address the question and mm. you sort of wonder is that because she doesn't want to vo but she cares more about them because they are actual permanent mm. like main characters and as well also the episode uh latent image mm. which is uh, the one that we've discussed a lot actually uh that the, 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 the the doctor has to make a choice between saving Harry Kim or this, I think it's Enzin Jettal. Jettal? Enzin Jettal, J- yeah. who is like this person that we literally just met. In fact, we don't even meet her because it's all like. She's already dead. She's already it's dead. Nonsense. It's the doctor's memories. And he. The same ha- with
0: Lindsay Ballard. I mean, same with Lindsay Ballard.
2: Man. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so he's sort of torn going back over and over and over about the choice that he made to save one rather than the other. And like in the, in the novel, red shirts, there's so many things in these episodes that don't make any sense. In the novel Red Shirts, the main characters, the actual Red Shirts themselves, Mm -hmm. not the main characters, but the main characters of the book, not the main characters of the safe, for instance, the intrepid, Mm -hmm. the Red Shirts, are are wondering, like, why is it that he's ordering me to do this? This is really stupid. Or why are we even on this planet? Or or, or why have we gone round this corner? And the Red Shirts themselves find themselves making silly decisions that they're like, while they're making them, like, why am I doing this? Why am I running away from this thing that's going to kill me like why am i not hiding and in in latent image you know for the narrative there are only two people who can perform this procedure to save either you know kim harry kim or ensign jatel and why are there no other doctors and no other medics on a ship the size of voyager you know i mean the doctor himself makes strange decisions you know and part of it is because you need for the narrative for narrative purposes you need the main characters to make dumb decisions so mm. the red shirts can die and the red shirts have to die in order for the main characters to learn something about themselves
0: but it's weird those voyager episodes i feel like voyager is on this sort of strange mission to kind of yeah almost sort of rehabilitate these red shirts but the, the weird thing is what well, i think it's a shame is they don't do it with red shirts who we've actually ever seen do you know what i mean like those characters are they're new characters they're newly cast for those episodes and we're supposed to believe that they were sort of in the kind of imagined backstory of Voyager that we never saw for some reason <laughs> kind of going about their business. Whereas I think, you know, it, I think it's a shame that they weren't able to use a character that we had... I mean, in a way, if the Doctor had killed Carrie instead of Harry, it would have had more yeah. weight to it. Do you know what I mean? Because at least we've been like, oh, wow, Carrie, you know, okay, well, yeah, I suppose it's obvious he's going to pick Harry. And I, and I think there's the other weird thing with that with that story is the Doctor's whole crisis is he can't understand why he picked Harry and not Ensign Jatarle. We all know that, <laughs> We can, like, it's we a complete no-brainer. <laughs> Obviously, he's going to pick the main character yeah. and not the redshirt. You know, that's how it works. Like, the Doctor clearly has never seen Star Trek, so he doesn't know, you know, that those are kind of the rules. And he can't sort of rationalise it. So there's this weird almost sort of split personality where Voyager is sort of saying, on the one hand, yeah, we understand these are the expendable characters. On the other hand, no, they're not. They're as real as everyone else. And they're <laughs> as human as everyone else and so on. But I think it's interesting when you were saying, you know, uh, do we find it disturbing these redshirt deaths... I actually don't know if we do, and I think that's part of the thing about with the original series. They're generally, people find them comic, you know, especially when you uh, you see all those, like, clips of, like, all of them edited together or something. There's something slightly... Or, like, memes. Yeah, kind yeah. of over the top. And even with The Next Generation, you know, there's that quite horrific death in where Silence has Lee, so the guy at the helm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's, like, clutching his head and collapses in the middle of the bridge and dies. I mean, it is quite horrific, but essentially it's so over the top and <laughs> random that there is something kind of grimly... Comedic about it, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean, but it 's weird that we don 't feel more sympathy for the red shirts, because I suppose one of the reasons that these other stories, these kind of deconstruction stories resonate I think is of course the red shirts are us I mean you know if you and I were serving on the enterprise we probably wouldn't be up on the bridge we probably would be you know scrubbing the plasma conduit or doing some kind Speak of for yourself. <laughs> maybe we'd be working in the library i don't know. but do you know what i mean we'd be doing one of these kind we'd of we'd be running uh, like this starship corrupted. like radio show. Yeah and we, we yeah, that's yeah the end a briefing with neelix or whatever <laughs> but we wouldn't be um you know doing the heroic thing and saving the day no. and so on necessarily and i think that's that's part of why these kind of stories appeal and and some of the comedy in say in Scalzi's novel and it also reminded me a bit of the episode of Black Mirror that they did which was a kind of Star Trek sort of a pastiche in effect was that idea of what you don't get in Star Trek in Star Trek everyone's very sort of respectful of the chain of command you know even in that episode of The Ship they talk about how the five uh crewmen who died were also pleased to serve under Cisco and how much they respected him and how proud they were to wear their uniforms and so on. Whereas in Red Shirts, the novel, what you get is these people who are like openly contemptuous of their superiors, <laughs> who behave in every way, basically like normal people in a kind of hierarchical system do about their bosses. You know, they think they're ridiculous. They think they, they didn't deserve to get the job. You know, it's almost a kind of horrible bosses element to it. And when you get to that episode of Black Mirror, it's literally... Um, you know, it's a very dark spin on things because they are these kind of disposable characters. They, this is a spoiler if you haven't seen that episode of Black Mirror. Uh, go watch it if you I want haven't. To. I haven't. <laughs> Sorry, Clara, I was just
2: spoiling things, everything
0: there. Uh, for Clara now. But um, <laughs> but basically, they are trapped in this scenario. The captain is the only one who's in control. He's on this kind of power trip, playing this game because he's obsessed with this kind of Star Trek. Like TV show, essentially, uh, and putting all his uh, co-workers and and so on in, uh, basically enslaving them in the role of these kind of junior uh, people around him, so that they can you know suffer horrifically and awful things can happen to them and so on. And so, so that's an even sort of darker take on the idea of you know these people who are the kind of the regulars almost who are kind of protected, who are safe, the captain and the first officer and so on, and then the kind of terror of being the you know, the lowly, disp- disposable mm. people in a way. Um, and we do see that a little bit in Voyager again. There's the episode Good Shepherd where Janeway takes this group of misfits on an away team, on an away mission because they'd never been on one. They literally never left the ship before. Uh, or presumably they'd surely, for whatever, but they have never been sent on a mission away from the ship before. Um, and some of them are quite reluctant to go. You know, they've got exactly that idea. This is dangerous. I'm not, I'm I'm not, not doing this. I'm not, I'm not going to Fly. You know, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> just leave me where I am. Mind my own business, you know, and hopefully we'll get home in, you know, 70 odd years or whatever. <laughs> and I just won't, won't trouble anyone along the way. So there's definitely that sort of idea of that kind of awareness of that, that their situation is a kind of perilous one in a way. And, and that I think is interesting because that does tie into these kind of real world ideas about sort of whose lives are more in peril than others or whose lives are more endangered than others. I mean, that episode of Enterprise, The Forgotten, with Trip writing the letter, reminded me very much of, you know, the First World War, all these officers writing endless letters home because of their men who had been killed. Um, And even the form of words that he uses, you know, I regret to inform you that so-and-so is that sort of classic idea of the condolence letter, which is the episode itself again sort of deconstructs at the end you know in fact it's a complete uh, sham because the person already those letters are never informing anyone of anything they're sort of serving a different mm. purpose but it's always you know the officer who has to write the letter for the people under them who've died again that's sort of putting the emphasis on the on the senior character and the kind of responsibility of command and the responsibility of losing people and so on rather than really being about the life of the person who's died in a sense, whereas, you know, maybe part of that is that we don't really want to think of ourselves as the kind of disposable, the people, the people whose lives don't mean anything. <laughs> if, if we die tomorrow, you know, there's not going to be a great obituary, no one's going to notice kind of thing. Uh, we want to sort of feel like we mean something somehow. And obviously in, you know, in, in Star Trek, those red shirts, they don't mean very much. Um, and, you know, in the novel red shirts, they're kind of realising that they that they really don't mean anything and that there are other people in their kind of periphery uh, who are the ones that everyone is interested in, whose, whose stories mean something or valuable in some way.
2: Yeah. I think what's well, it's a bit like when you watch a disaster movie and you see like, you know, a tsunami like, sort of like go towards a city or something and you know, you see all these little people dying and you think I would be one of those people. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not the hero who's going to outrun the tsunami. Mm-hmm. I'm the I'm one of those people in a car that's going to get swept away. I think that um, in Red Shirts, the novel there is, there is a very touching moment halfway through the bus, towards, towards the end of the book, where Jenkins, who's the Yeti-like character who's hiding in the bowels of the ship, who's the one that really actually discovers that like the whole thing is set sound like a TV show, he talks about his wife. Mm. Well, actually, he doesn't. Dahl talks to him about his wife. He's trying <clears> to convince <throat> Jenkins to do something and to help them. And he talks to him about his wife. And it's clear Jenkins, Jenkins' wife is dead. She's a red shirt, so she mm. died. And after she died, Jenkins kind of retreated into the sort of I guess you'd call them Jeffrey's tubes to try and like avoid being caught up in the narrative. And it's clear that Jenkins really loved his wife. And he remembers proposing to her like on the front lawn of the, of the house of her parents. And I mean, I had this mental image of a, a Yeti looking like alien (laughs) getting down on one knee, like in a sort of suburban front garden. But the idea in the book is that there is real, it's very jokey. It's very parody, but there is real, they're real lives. Mm. They're real lives and they're real people. And because, Perhaps they, their lives aren't as glorious as, say, for instance, the captains, you know. Mm-hmm. But because they're small people doesn't mean that their lives are not important or their lives aren't worthy. And it's the idea that just because you aren't like a type A personality who's going to become a leader of men, it doesn't mean that your existence isn't just as justified as mm-hmm. that, you know, big, famous, brilliant, Person that you know it, it's at the top of the top of the food chain. I think that one of the things that really struck me when I was researching for this podcast was how often Star Trek uses death as um, the ultimate narrative way to affect change, to create change. Mm-hmm. So some of the deaths that we're talking about, the red shirt deaths of main characters, are talking about. Are actually happened because the actresses or actors left the show. Mm-hmm. And so they've got to get rid of them somehow. And I've always thought it was strange rather than transferring them out and sort of mm-hmm. saying, like, guys, I've decided to go work somewhere else and it's been great knowing you. And let's, let's like, you know, let's like, Keep let's, touch, let's message know, yeah. each other. Let's send each other mm-hmm. like little space letters. It's always like, no, they've got to die in some bad way. Mm-hmm. But also, it's, it's, it's used to split up relationships. Mm-hmm. And very t- typically, and I was just thinking about this in terms of Vedic Boral. Now, I felt Beryl's death wasn't a redshirt death because he has this long, extended death. But it's kind of like a more developed redshirt death because the whole episode is about him dying. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's called Life Support, isn't it? The whole episode is about him dying. And it is really tragic. I mean, Kira's reaction and Kira's... I mean, Nana Visitor's acting is really brilliant in that episode and she does seem very grief-stricken. I am not the biggest fan of Beryl uh, myself personally, but I I think that, and I guess in a way, the actor probably wanted to leave. I assume he wanted to leave Deep Space Nine, or maybe they wanted to develop Kira's character. I don't know why he died. They just
0: wanted shots of him, to be
2: honest. <laughs> well, they wanted shots of him. And, it, and they seem to be quite in love with each other, so it yeah. doesn't, it doesn't seem sort of ring true that she would break up with him. But yeah. in lots of, you see this again and again, lots of romantic you know pairings or or even friendships you know somebody's has some sort of conflict and they come back together mm. um invariably one of them's going to die because mm. there has to be some sort of tragedy some sort of pathos to the story and in a relationship you know i mean almost all romantic relationships in any sort of type of drama not a science fiction any tv show uh almost always end in tragedy if you think about it no one ever kind of walks off gets yeah. married and kind of bickers over the cake Brian the dishes. A slightly, really, I think. Yeah, she, she did. <laughs> I mean, they did pretty really well, but yeah. if you think about it, most of them don't. Yeah. And I mean, even Odo and Kira, I think that's actually quite a good end to the relationship mm-hmm. because neither of them die, mm-hmm. they make a conscious decision to part, mm-hmm. you know, they part amicably. I think that was, a, I mean, it's more realistic as realistic mm-hmm. as it can be because he's a shapeshifter and it's sci-fi, but it's more realistic than, say, for instance, Josiah's death you know, um, or even Cisco, you know, ending up not dying, but kind of becoming an ethereal prophet, like, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of timeless being.
1: Mm.
2: So the one that really struck me that was, I thought was really red shirty, although she's not a red shirt, but it's a red shirt death is Edith Keeler. Yeah. Um, in the city of the city of the edge forever. Mm. And, I actually think it's good that she dies. I love that episode. I think it's really meaningful. And I think it has a real effect on Kirk. I think it has an effect on history. Mm-hmm. It's a moral dilemma for like Kirk to make. Spock's involved. McCoy's involved. It's a very tragic story. It's really good. But at the same time, I was like, it's the same thing with Fridging, isn't it? It's like she, mm-hmm. she dies so that the three men can learn something about each other and about themselves. Mm-hmm. And Kirk can be, remain, remain free so that he can kiss every other alien woman in the, in the galaxy. So, you could have, the red shirt death trope is even more widespread than the actual red shirt individual trope. If you see what I'm saying. Mm,
1: mm,
0: absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's an interesting point about Edith Keeler. I suppose the thing about Edith Keeler is the danger is that if she doesn't die, she becomes <laughs> a historical figure of importance <laughs> and meaning that affects the outcome of
2: prevents know, World of War Two <events>,
0: exactly. <laughs> so there's that weird sort of sense that she has she has to die precisely so that she can be obscure and forgotten and. You know, live a life that no one knows about. But you're right, absolutely. The 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 kind of dramatic weight of it is very much, you know, to to have that impact on Captain Kirk of, of you know, having to make that decision and, and having to lose her. And I mean. In some ways, yeah, the the kind of fridging idea obviously is is quite pervasive and it it is something that comes up in a lot of these stories. You know, I mentioned the the way it it plays out in Forgotten. And I think the idea of of fridging is sort of a a tricky one because I suppose, I don't know whether it matters whether they were a character in their own right to begin with and then they're treated like that, Mm. I think maybe that is worse. I mean, arguably, Tripp's sister is a fridged character because she never existed before... I don't think he ever mentioned having a sister before we found out that she'd been killed. So, you know, I don't know whether that is... That is obviously the same thing insofar as it's a character who's been killed off screen for the benefit of (laughs) motivating the drama for one of our lead characters. But I don't think it's quite as problematic, maybe, as when that happens to a character that we actually do... Uh, care about some degree or that we have kind of presented in, in their own right. I don't know. It's a, it's a complicated sort of uh, issue and, and, and something to be aware of. And I suppose the, the issue with the fridging is it's not so much that you can't ever kill a character in a random or shocking way or whatever. I mean, say when Dr. Culber was killed, there was a real backlash in terms of this idea of, you know, I think we talked about it, the kill your gaze trope and all these kind of ideas that it seems to be tapping into. And it's not to say, you know, you can't kill a ca- character randomly or shockingly or whatever, but just to maybe be a little bit more aware of what the kind of meaning of that might be or or a bit more kind of to take it a little bit more seriously. And I suppose really that's what all these stories have in common in a sense is, do we take these deaths seriously or or not? Or do we treat them in a kind of flippant way? And I suppose the original series approach to the red shirts, where it is often a bit over the top and it is a bit, and the fact that it's become a kind of popular culture joke, you know, is a meme, is a kind of joke. Uh, To the extent that, say, in the 2009 Star Trek film, there's a, you know, pretty explicit uh, red shirt joke in there when, you you know, you get Kirk, Sulu and uh, the, actually the chief engineer of the ship, though, I have to say, I have seen, it was only when we saw that film recently, the Royal Albert Hall, that I worked out that he was meant to be the chief engineer of the ship, that somehow passed me by every time I'd seen it before. And, but he is just like, first of all, he is literally wearing a red shirt. Secondly, he's the most obnoxious, like deserving to die a horrific death unpleasant character you could meet you know in the space of about five seconds on screen he annoys everyone he makes you know the kind of rebooted Kirk seem really measured and reasonable because he's you know first of all he, he says yeah I'm gonna get some Romulan ass or whatever and then and then he's you know kicks some Romulan ass but <laughs> not, not get some and, and then and then he's kind of cheering as they're going down <laughs> on there and they're skydiving whatever he's like a real jerk basically and then he's just incinerated suddenly in a burst of flame In a moment that is clearly meant to be funny, you know, and it's like it's played for laughs, the comedy of this guy who was really brash and and ballsy and thought he was great, just suddenly miscalculating and and dying horrifically. But it is that kind of thing of like, so we can understand from the point of view of watching that film that that's funny, that's a a funny scenario, this guy was, you know, too cocky and, and he died as a result. Obviously in real life that would be horrific we wouldn't feel like that so there is this sort of weird play of like what what are the kind of conventions of drama or tv or film or whatever where we, we're we willing to sort of suspend our empathy or suspend our kind of actual sort of natural response mm. in order to kind of enjoy something i mean i mean and it's not just you know this trope there's you know if you think about you mentioned disaster movies there's also like horror movies have certain tropes about who's going to die when and and you know there's various kinds of films where we kind of you know, yeah, it's just a story. It's just make-believe. We don't really care about, about the people. The people are kind of disposable in some way. But it's interesting, you know, it's it's not so much a one-way thing where like, oh, well, now it's 2009. We wouldn't dream of doing that. We care about characters too much. We can still laugh at, you know, this guy being incinerated.
2: Yeah, and we don't want to make our entertainment, especially science fiction, like so dark and so dystopian that it becomes an incredibly hard depressing slog to watch Mm. we don't want to be so po-faced either like that we can't enjoy some of the humor that's injected especially like kind of cocky kind of like sailing close to the wind type of humor or dark humor I did feel a little bit that Joe Scalzi's book Red Shirt's was slightly mean about science fiction the mm-hmm. really the main bridge characters are seen as really pretty obnoxious like they have very they 't have any redeeming characteristics really. The captain is like this overblown arrogant kind of ridiculous bad captain mm-hmm. you know um Kerensky is actually really seen as a bumbling idiot you know yeah, yeah, yeah whereas although Chekhov does have a lot of humor in the original series and he you know he's he's a humorous character you know mm-hmm. he's in the um, reboot, he's young and he's, um, you know, supposed to sort of seem like kind of over enthusiastic. In the original series, he's um, comparing everything that he comes across as being as good as, or not as good as, something in Russia. Or he says mm. everything's invented in Russia. Like he's supposed to be funny, mm. but there's also a serious element to him too. Like he's brave, he's smart. Mm. He is kind of mentored by Spock because he's supposed to be young and a genius. You know, mm. so. I did feel a little bit like the author of Red Shirts was kind of going a tad too far. And there is an element of like drawing the curtain aside and showing you how the sort of machine behind, you know, like the magician kind of revealing how he's he's done his tricks Mm. to the point where like, I don't really necessarily want to analyze every death in Star Trek. I don't really want to analyze... Or, obviously that's what we're doing right now, I don't really really want to necessarily be thinking about every red shirt that dies and Mm. feeling guilty that I'm kind of enjoying the fact that they're dying because they should have a better meaningful storyline. Or even if you're not enjoying
0: it, that you're kind of indifferent (laughs) to it, I suppose, because you recognise that from a narrative point of view it's not important.
2: Yeah, so so in a way, I felt like it it was. I enjoyed the book a lot, and actually, I would recommend anyone listening to um, get the audio version because it's read by Will Wheaton, and he's he's actually a very good uh, audio book reader actor. Actor, but I after a while, I was like, you know, this is a very cynical take on Star Trek, and I, I can tell you like Star Trek because you really the detail here in the book is very much something it's very very detailed I can see that there's a lot of depth to it I can see that you've, you know you're a Star Trek fan but we get to the point now where I'm struggling to watch Star Trek episodes afterwards because I'm starting <laughs> to feel a little bit guilty every time a red shirt dies and also kind of just like sort of seeing how stupid some of the captain's decisions are yeah so that lead to all these like deaths of crew members
0: which is kind of a theme that idea of bad leadership and whether or not it's the captain who's a bad leader which is the case in the you know in the in that novel the the intrepid you know the captain of the intrepid is 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 a bit of a buffoon, as you say, but also what turns out you, you know spoilers again you know? <laughs> uh, but in the latter part of that novel, they come to the real world and they find the the uh, executive producer and the writer, the like, head writer of the kind of Star Trek knockoff show that they're, that is their reality. Um, and the writer, once he learns that basically every time he writes a character's random death, someone actually dies in this kind of parallel universe or whatever, is completely paralysed by it. You know, he suffers from terrible writer's uh, block. He suffers from guilt over the fact that he's killed all these people inadvertently because he didn't know that when he writes, you know, uh, so-and-so um, steps forward and a boulder falls on his head, That literally (laughs) someone is dying as a result of it. So it's this weird idea of sort of, yes, on the one hand, kind of taking responsibility, forcing someone in that situation to take it seriously, someone who otherwise is a bit of a sort of flippant Hollywood writer. Uh, But also again and again, this sort of idea of, a bad leadership, bad writing. And that's what they keep coming back to in the Red Shirts novel is they're like, you know, you're a hack. You're writing our stories badly. We want mm. you to take us seriously. We want you to be a better writer. We don't even mind if you have to kill us sometimes, but give us proper deaths. <laughs> treat us, you know, like real characters, basically. But it's that weird idea, the sort of idea of bad leadership, which I think is almost this kind of subversive reading of Star Trek because Star Trek is so invested in the captain as the kind of perfect yeah, true, embodiment yeah. of of good leadership and good command and so on. And you see it even, I mean, I, I, I was. Um, I sent you when we were preparing for this episode, and I'm sure many of the listeners have seen it, that there's a, a sort of infographic that someone's made of all the different captains. So sort to of say, how many redshirts did they kill? Basically, you know, Kirk killed this many, <laughs> Picard killed this many, Janeway killed that many, and, and so on. Uh, and what percentage of their crew actually died? And, you know, does it, if, if Kirk kills more redshirts than anyone else, Is Kirk, a bad leader, because so many people appear to die on his ship. And that is sort of a resistant reading of Star Trek in a way. Uh, Captain Kirk is a wildly irresponsible man, you know, (laughs) whose kind of death rate is just off the charts. And probably back at Starfleet Command, they're looking at it and saying, you know, what, he's lost another five this week. You know, what's going on on that ship? Why are so many people dying? Which is sort of what's going on in the Red Shirts novel is they realise, the point where they realise they're part of a TV show or they're realities is impinged on by a TV show is when they realise that statistically just far more people are dying on their ship than on any other ship in the fleet, than, mm. you know, in any other comparable situation, that it's kind of, it's sort of unrealistic. But again, it comes back to this idea of, you know, it's either a bad captain, is Captain Kirk a bad captain, contrary to what Star Trek would seem to suggest, or it's bad writing or bad, you, you know, someone high up is kind of failing these people on the ground.
2: I think some of it definitely is bad writing. <laughs> I think it's only ever really a bad command decision or a bad captain or a bad leader when the story wants to make a point about bad leadership Mm. and they want a bad captain involved, you know, um, or a bad admiral or a bad commodore because they're often commodores, aren't they? Mm -hmm. So I think the majority of the time it's bad writing. And I think it literally is. I mean, you've got to think about... How many scripts these writers were having to churn out, you know, mm. especially for a series that has something like, I don't know, ridiculous, like 24 episodes, mm. you know, massive serialized uh, series. And they don't really have those kind of series on television anymore, you know? So um, there's a lot of scripts, a lot of writing. You've got to, ha- there's got to be drama. There's got to be tension in science fiction. This, they seem very, people seem very, well, writers seem very concerned with drama and tension. So things happen that just seem ridiculous, mm. but in order to create drama. So. I think some of sometimes it is bad writing. I think that the easy, like I was saying, the easiest, quickest way to affect change in a story is to have a death somewhere, mm. and that's why I think so many relationships end in death, death for one person or another. That's why so many characters, like we talked about this in our Father's Day episode, where so many characters have dead parents or dead fathers. I honestly do think sometimes a red shirt death for a main character or a sort of semi-established background character or an extra extra. Or a red shirt dying in some way is bad writing. It's an easy way to show peril. It's an easy Mm. way to,
0: to create drama. There's also this sort of question, I suppose, though, about what, you know, what is good writing or bad writing? What is it that makes it feel real? And,
2: <laughs> we know, and we is, know.
0: <laughs> well, and, 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 well and, and is it necessarily, are the rules of narrative different from the rules of reality? And this is something that comes up in the novel Red Shirts, because obviously they talk about this idea. They keep saying, avoid the narrative, don't get sucked into the narrative, because <laughs> yeah. the narrative is the thing that kills people more than real life. But of course, there is a sort of question with reality and with writing about whether something that plays one way in real life plays differently in a narrative, you know in narrative we do expect things to kind of tie together we expect some kind of structure we expect some kind of order in a way that obviously we don't expect in real life because we know that real life is chaotic and and messy and so on So one of the things I've been wondering is whether what we saw essentially with Dr. Culber in Discovery is the kind of the beginning of a slightly different approach to the way that deaths are treated in Star Trek. I suppose this idea that sort of everyone could be a red shirt in a sense, the idea that, you know, no one is safe, which is definitely what you see in other shows like The Walking Dead or like Game of Thrones or these kind of long serialized shows where the death of uh, major characters is much more a kind of feature of the ongoing drama.
2: Yeah, so earlier in this podcast, I basically said that I thought that death was actually can often be quite brutal and meaningless, and that having a meaningful death like the kind you'd find in Lord of the Rings or that you find in Star Trek with some characters is a little bit unrealistic. Um, But I'm going to completely contradict myself now by saying that the problem with Game of Thrones and with The Walking Dead, but particularly with Game of Thrones, is you spend so much of your time, like, you know, hours of watching television, um investing in a character and that the narrative spends so much time focusing on a character on their motivations their moral dilemmas their decisions they build these people up as if they're going to have some sort of meaningful future and then kills them off in a way that is very brutal very meaningless very sudden and so I think you feel a little bit like you wasted energy in caring about that character you wasted your time investing attention in that character and I think I know that's I mean, I know that's some of the criticisms that people I know who've watched the show have said, you know, like I spent a lot of time following like Rob Stark and then, spoiler alert. Spoilers? <laughs> I've never seen Game of Thrones. <laughs> oh my God. I'll try and oh, i Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> I won't say anything more.
0: Okay. Um,
2: but yeah, that's part of the problem. It's all right, I
0: deserve it. I've spoiled enough things for you.
2: <laughs> So there is an element of audience frustration and audience satisfaction so if you're a writer it's not just about the drama it's also about like I think it's I think it's also about giving the audience satisfying entertainment and is an, is a red shirt death really that satisfying for a long term developed character
0: no it's kind of like it's like junk food isn't it it's like the sort of quick fix a quick quick sort of treat almost isn't it of a bit of drama and i suppose that's where the sort of criticism of red shirt deaths as bad drama comes in whereas something like you know the death of spock in the wrath of khan um, obviously there was outrage at the idea of killing off Spock at the same time they did it in such a dramatic, meaningful, you, you know, uh significant way that you kind of as an audience, yes, you can feel kind of heartbroken that that's happened. But at the same time, you also feel satisfied mm-hmm. at the way that it happened. And I suppose, you, you know, like you said, everyone wants to have a good death. Uh In real, you know, in real life, that's something that people consider in terms of Pain and suffering, and, and you know all these kinds of things, and, and dignity, and so on. Uh, and in a way, it's sort of the same thing that we're talking about with these fictional characters. In a way, we want them to die heroically. We want them to die in a sort of dignified, um, dramatic, satisfying way, uh, so that their story sort of feels like it has a, a shape to it, a create, I suppose, a creative shape rather than the kind of messy. Uh, you know slightly depressing shape of of many real world lives which possibly is something that we don't really want to be reminded about the fact that we're so insignificant and that our lives are so kind of meaningless uh and that you know we may well just die unexpectedly being hit by a bus or you know whatever it is it's a kind of um it's something we don't really want to engage with um the other thing that just crossed my mind about these red shirt deaths is that you know I think the the way that they're dealt with in the original series, there's something slightly flippant often about it, which is why they become a sort of comedic trope. That there is, you know, even if it's not comic, there's something kind of, oh, they've just died. Let's, you, you know, let's move on to the next thing. And it kind of undersells the effect, you know, even on someone in a, I mean, granted that Starfleet is a military organisation and therefore they probably are used to dealing with death, but that actually the presence of dead bodies for most people is quite, shocking and the more you know far more so if there's someone that you knew or even not someone that you knew but someone that you know you exchanged words with a few minutes before and obviously these are the sort of things that people who have fought in wars and so on have had to deal with you know losing their friends or losing their colleagues or whatever um but they are understandably traumatized by these things and i suppose that's what we don't tend to see in star trek is any sense of the kind of uh, lasting impact of those sort of losses on people there, there might be a kind of temporary impact. So say with Chief O'Brien in the ship, there is a kind of, there is a real kind of emotional uh, residual effect there. And, and even in Lower Decks, there's a kind of, you know, obviously Picard and Worf who are both in different ways sort of uh, sympathetic to and kind of mentoring the character of Ensign uh definitely register that loss quite meaningfully but at the same time, there certainly isn't that sense of kind of the, the real sort of visceral horror of someone that you knew, you know, minutes before suddenly being dead. And, and you know, that's it.
2: And death in Star Trek is very clean. Mm. And it was very clean, I think, until around about the Wrath of Khan, mm. when, you know, you have Scotty's nephew, who was pretty much in the original cut. Um, is like relegated.
0: He's a red shirt. It's exactly. A red shirt. The editing yeah. turns him into a red shirt, which is a strange thing. Whereas, you know, when, if we know he's Scotty's nephew, then kind of he has a
2: yeah, and in the extended, in the story, extended so version, yeah, thing. he's yeah. got more of a backstory. But and in the novel of the Wrath of Khan, he's got a whole backstory. He's got like right. a friendship with Savak and everything. So mm-hmm. his death is even more tragic. But yeah, I mean Spock's death, it's not like visceral, but he's obviously suffering and. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's sort of, I think he's supposed to think towards the end, he's kind of blind. You can't really see where he's going and he's got yeah. burns. He's had his burns on his face, in his hands. And I think that in, in, in the book, novelizations of the movies, um, Kirk's memories of Spock dying are very much of him being hideously burned. Mm. He's affected by his appearance, not just the fact that he's dead. Yeah. So I think that you're right. It's it's it, you're right. The visceralness of death has gone uh, mostly for a lot from Star Trek. The the actual element of people being in pain. There's no real sort of. I mean, one of the things that you find in war, especially in mm. in, in wars like World War One, where the you know there wasn't the same kind of medical treatment as there is now, not the same levels of kind of like I suppose like in terms of medical treatment on, on, on site and drugs and everything. There's a lot of horrible pain you know i mean a lot of people in no man's land screaming and screaming and screaming for hours until they eventually die you don't really get much of that in star trek either and even vedic brail's death which is pretty horrific he just kind of loses his sense of self he doesn't seem to be in agony
0: so it's again quite clean i mean it's not what you also get in war is is the kind of horror of bodily um you sort of disintegration one way or another the kind of horror of seeing you know physically people who are not okay. a, a, as they should be and i mean you know i can I, i've never been to war but some of our listeners probably have <laughs> but um you know i witnessed the aftermath of a uh traffic accident once where a woman had stepped into the road and been killed by a truck i think um and You know, and she was already dead by the time I I was literally just walking past going to the bank. Um, But it really affected me. I mean, like for weeks afterwards, I was having nightmares about this because just the sight of, you know, witnessing that really shocked, like profoundly shocked me. And even now it's the sort of like it flashes into my head if I think, you know, if there's some kind of danger, if I see a large truck or something, it kind of comes back to me, that kind of idea. And, you know, yes, obviously Starfleet, People, they're trained to deal with these sorts of things, they're trained to deal with the kind of difficulties of combat and so on. But, you know, if you read accounts of the First World War or even the Second World War, any war, really, these are the kind of things that play on soldiers' minds that really affect them. The kind of um, horrific death that they see, uh, which is so out of the sphere of you know, hospitals and kind of managed death and kind of, you you, you know, sort of how we expect people to die in everyday life where there's a degree of predictability to it. It is those kind of very sudden, very violent, very shocking deaths that, um, you know, they they leave an impact on people. Um, And, you know, Star Trek's a family show. Maybe they're not going to go there to too much of an extent though i guess with discovery they did to some extent because the way it wasn't just the fact that Culber was killed very suddenly it was very brutal and the fact that they kept flashing back to it it was there was an element of kind of trauma they were almost trying to traumatize the viewer in the way that they directed it
2: but i I mean even if it's a family show and you can't show much gore and i get that i understand Mm -hmm. it's not it's not game of thrones it's not the walking dead it's not um like a horror show Mm. I think you can do you can explore grief and I think you can do very good representations of grief even grief that's family friendly children Mm. understand grief you know like children understand love it's that the whole idea of like you can't show a romantic relationship between I mean some some so I would say sort of very close-minded viewers in parts of the of of the world believe you can't show a romantic relationship between two people of the same sex without Mm. corrupting young minds Mm -hmm. I mean it's like children understand love you know so then they do understand they may not understand death so much, but they understand grief. They understand having lost something, and yeah. there, are, there are children who have dealt with grief, you know, because they have lost people who are very young. So, I think that I think they could. I think Star could explore grief more, and yeah. I think Red Shirts, Red Shirt deaths are never going to allow that. It's they're not, not grieved. Yeah. they're not you know no, they're not grieved, yeah. And uh, to an extent, Culber's death is like that because I know people on the Babel conference will probably disagree with me. I know some of our listeners will disagree with me, but I really feel like his death hasn't been properly like uh, grieved like haven't been grief stricken enough over it and I think maybe that maybe that'll be coming in season two maybe it won't
0: but maybe he'll be back from the dead
2: yeah maybe back from the dead I mean also in Star Trek no one really ever dies either do they that's also the problem so but there has to be an element of I mean even Kez you know I mean I think there was some grief there but not very not not that much and she didn't really die she kind of Mm. went came back and I think that if you're going to have Death is part of a show, and you're going to have death as part of a narrative, and death mm. as a sort of fictional device in order to create drama. Then you've got to have a fallout after You've got to have an aftermath. You've got to have a fallout after it. Like you've got to have some sort of psychological impact, because there's this thing about the idea that people learn through suffering, and mm. through learning through suffering, they become stronger. And you, you see this in shows like Westworld, the repeated suffering of individuals, and very often, sometimes it can be female characters. The repeated suffering the repeated suffering of victims and Mm -hmm. they sort of learn through it and they become stronger in real life. It doesn't really work that way. Sometimes when people suffer, they just suffer and it's just awful Mm -hmm. and uh, they don't become stronger, better people. And I think that there's a danger that we maybe sort of trivialize people's pain in real life. If we don't see it accurately reflected
0: on screen, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I mean, when you were talking about the kind of ram- lasting ramifications, I mean, I, I suppose Jadzia's death is one where it does seem to kind of carry forward, at least to a certain extent, you know, insofar as we see the impact on Cisco, it is a real complete crisis for him. We sort of see the impact on Worf and so on. Um, it's, it's you know, not forgotten in the next episode, if you know what I mean. But yeah, I even there, I suppose there's a kind of, a shapely element to the way that the story is is handled if you know what i mean which is maybe not how people experience grief and and these kind of um things in real life well uh, it's been fun (laughs) talking about um red shirts and 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 the tragic uh deeply distressing Demises. Uh, But this isn't the only thing we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. So here's a listen to some of the other things you might have missed elsewhere on the network.
1: Previously on Trek.fm, The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast.
0: It's a white uniform, and you're dealing with medical blood, all this other stuff, fluids. Yeah. That thing ain't going to stay white. So in my head, they're treated that it just doesn't even stick, it just repels off it.
1: Earl Grey. So Picard says he won't transfer anyone off the ship, but as a compromise, get ready for this. As a compromise, he will reassign Worf as Wesley's tutor. <laughs> I love that, <laughs> yes! Put some discipline in that boy.
0: Oh my gosh, that's so funny. This is
1: like a choice you could, I, I don't know. I, I would imagine. And I rewrite. really like this story like now. It? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's, there's more later, but yeah, Worf as Wesley's tutor. Melodic treks. And, uh, you know, I talked to the producers when I first did the show, and the first thing they had me do was take a combination of the da 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 you know, Sandy Courage, wonderful horn theme, and uh, Jerry's da 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 you know, his theme for the first movie, and, and make a theme out of those, and combine them. So I did it electronically, and they said, good enough, and I said, oh, look, this is not my specialty, and they said, never mind, you got it. So, 18 years later, you know, that was it. The 602 Club. I did definitely feel what you're saying, Matt, like it was a a Bond Greatest Hits in that opening sequence. Um, You've got Russians again, or supposed to be in Russia. You've got, um, you know, a group of um, terrorists all gathering together about, you know, all these different weapons. And you're trying to ID people. And then, you know, we of course, bring back in M. Um, and then she's having to argue now with um, the government and the military. Um, and then, you know, I like that they kind of bring in bond in a subtle way, calling him white Knight this time. Um, that was cool. But yeah, I, I think otherwise it feels very familiar, but in a great way, um, I feel like Arnold dealing with the music um, and then the actors as well taking good direction made a lot of intensity in that scene so you don't feel like you're moving into the film slowly they're coming at you full force and then you know bond runs off with the plane um so i really liked it and that's what else is happening on trek.fm
2: check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the star trek universe and beyond You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they're published. And please leave us a star rating and a written review. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and in most third-party apps. And you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place is to join the larger conversation at the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type in Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash Choose to send to a show and select Primitive Culture. That will come right to us. You can also find the network on Twitter, at Trek.fm, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. We are Primitive Culture, and we are your hosts. My name is Clara Cook, and you can find me on Twitter, at ClaraJeanMC. My co-host is Duncan Barrett, and you can find Duncan on Twitter, at Barrett's If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit Patreon.com/TrekFM. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com/TrekFM to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more. Available through our special patrons website, patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us, and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at Patreon.com/TrackFM. Now, I'd like to express a big thank you to our executive producer, Amy Nelson. You can find Amy Nelson on the Earl Grey podcast on Trek FM. So, thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Primitive Culture, a Trek FM podcast about our history, our culture, and how Star Trek relates to it. you
1: are blended all.